Hello, welcome back to the Forgotten Books Podcast. I'm your host, Annika, and today we are continuing on through our adventures with Mr. Toad, Molly, and Rat in The Wind and the Willows. Today we'll be reading Chapter 3, and let's get into it. Chapter 3, The Wildwood The mole had long wanted to make the acquaintance of the badger. He seemed, by all accounts, to be such an important personage, and, though rarely visible, to make his unseen influence felt by everybody about the place. But, whenever the mole mentioned his wish to the water rat, he always found himself put off. "'It's all right,' the rat would say. "'Badger will turn up some day or another. He's always turning up, and then I'll introduce you. You're the best of fellows, but you mustn't only take him as you find him.' But when you find him. Couldn't you ask him here for dinner or something? said the mole. He wouldn't come, replied the rat simply. Badger hates society and invitations and dinner and all that sort of thing. Well, then, supposing we go and call on him? suggested the mole. Oh, I'm quite sure he wouldn't like that at all, said the rat, quite alarmed. He's so very, very shy and He'd be sure to be quite offended. I've never even ventured to call on him at his own home myself, though I know him so well. Besides, we can't. It's quite out of the question, because he lives in the very middle of the wildwood. Well, supposing he does, said the mole. You told me that the wildwood was all right, you know. Oh, I know, I know, so it is, replied the rat evasively. But... I think we won't go there just now. Not just yet. It's a long way and he wouldn't be able to be at home at this time of year anyhow. And he'll be coming along some day if you wait quietly. The mole had to be content with this. But the badger never came along. And every day brought its amusements. And it was not till summer was long over and cold and frost and merry ways kept them much indoors and the swollen river raced past outside their windows with a speed that mocked at boating of any sort of kind, that he found his thoughts dwelling again with the much persistence on the solitary grey badger, who lived his own life by himself, in his hole in the middle of the wildwood. In the winter time, the rat slept a great deal, retiring early and rising late, During his short day, he sometimes scribbled poetry or did another small domestic job around the house. And, of course, there were always animals dropping in for a chat. And, consequently, there was a good deal of storytelling and comparing notes on the past summer and all of its doings. Such a rich chapter it had been when one came to look back on it all, with illustrations so numerous and so very highly colored. The pageant of the riverbank had marched steadily along, unfolding itself scene pictures that succeeded each other in a steady procession. Purple loose strife arrived early, shaking luxuriant tangled locks along the edge of the mirror, whence its own face laughed back at it. Willow herb tender and wistful, like a pink sunset cloud, was not slow to follow. Comfrey, the purple hand in hand with white crept forward to take its place in the line.
and at last one morning the diffident and delaying dog-rose stepped delicately on the stage and one knew as if string music had announced it in its stately chords that strained into a gavotte that june at last was here one member of the company was still awaited the shepherd-boy for the nymphs to woo the knight whom the ladies waited at the window the prince that was to kiss the sleeping summer back into life and love but when the meadow-sweet debonair and odorous in amber jerkin moved graciously to his place in the group and then the play was ready to begin and what a play it had been drowsy animals snug in their holes while wind and rain were battering at their doors recalled still keen mornings an hour before sunrise when the white mist as yet undispersed clung closely along the surface of the water and then the shock of the early plunge the scamper along the bank and the radiant transformation of earth air and water when suddenly the sun was with them again and the gray was gold and color was born and sprang out of the earth once more they recalled the languorous siesta of a hot midday deep in green undergrowth the sun striking through the in tiny golden shafts and spots and the boating and bathing of the afternoon the rambles along the dusty lanes and through yellow cornfields and the long cool evenings at last when so many threads were gathered up so many friendships rounded and so many adventures planned for the morrow there was plenty to talk about on the those short winter days when the animals found themselves round the fire still the mole had a good deal of spare time on his hands and so one afternoon when the rat in his armchair before the blaze was alternately dozing and trying over rhymes that wouldn't fit he formed the resolution to go out by himself and explore the wildwood and perhaps strike up an acquaintance with mr badger it was a cold still afternoon with a hard steely sky overhead when he slipped out of the warm parlor into the open air the country lay bare and entirely leafless around him and he thought that he had never seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as on that winter day when nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked the clothes off copses dells quarries and all hidden places which had been so mysterious mines for exploration in leafy summer now exposed themselves and their secrets pathetically and seemed to ask him to overlook their shabby poverty for a while till they could riot in rich masquerade as before and tricked and enticed him with old deceptions it was pitiful in a way and yet cheering and exhi even exhilarating he was glad that he liked the country undecorated hard and stripped of its finery he had got down to the bare bones of it and they were fine and strong and simple he did not want the warm clover and the play of the seeding grass the screens of the quickset the billowy drapery of the beech and elm seemed best away and with great cheerfulness of spirit he pushed on towards the wildwood which lay before him in low and threatening like a black reef in some still southern sea there was nothing to alarm him at first entry twigs crackled under his feet logs tripped him 
funguses on stumps resembled caricatures and startled him for a moment by their likeness to something familiar and far away. But that was all fun and exciting. It led him on. He penetrated to where the light was less, and the trees crouched nearer and nearer, and holes made ugly mouths at him on either side. Everything was still now. The dusk advanced on him steadily, rapidly, gathering in behind and before, and the light seemed to be draining away like flood water. Then the faces began. It was over his shoulder and indistinctly that he first thought he had saw a face, a little evil wedge-shaped face looking at him from a hole. When he turned and confronted it, the thing had vanished. He quickened his pace, telling himself cheerfully not to begin imagining things, or there would be simply no end to it. He passed another hole, and another, and another, and then yes, no, yes, Certainly a little narrow face with hard eyes had flashed up from an instant from a hole, and was gone. He hesitated, braced himself up for an effort, and strode on. Then suddenly, as if it had been so all the time, every hole far and near, and there were hundreds of them, seemed to all possess its face, coming and going rapidly, all fixing on him glances of malice and hatred, all hard-eyed, evil, and sharp. If he could only get away from the holes in the banks, he thought, there would be no more faces. He'd swung off the path and plunged into the untrodden places of the wood. Then the whistling began. Very faint and shrill it was, and far behind him when he first heard it. But somehow it made him hurry forward. Then, still faint and shrill, it sounded far ahead of him and made him hesitate and want to go back. As he halted in indecision, it broke out on either side, and seemed to be caught up and passed on throughout the whole length of the wood to its furthest limit. They were up and alert already, evidently, whoever they were, and he, he was quite alone, and unarmed, and far from any help, and the night was closing in. Then the pattering began. He thought it was only falling leaves at first, so slight and delicate was the sound of it. Then, as it grew, it took a regular rhythm, and he knew it for nothing else but the pat-pat-pat of little feet, still a very long way off. Was it in front or behind? It seemed to be first one, then the other, then both. It grew and it multiplied, till from every quarter, as he listened anxiously, Leaning this way and that, it seemed to be closing in on him. As he stood still to hearken, a rabbit came running towards him through the trees. He waited, expecting it to slacken pace or swerve from him to a different course. Instead, the animal almost brushed him as it dashed past, his face set and hard and his eyes staring. "'Get out of this, you fool! Get out!' The mole heard him mutter as he swung around a stump and disappeared down in a friendly burrow. The pattering increased till it sounded like sudden hail on the dry leaf carpet spread around him. The whole wood seemed running now, running hard, hunting, chasing, closing in around something or somebody. In panic he began to run too. Aimlessly he knew not whither. He ran up against things, he fell over things and into things, he darted under things and dodged around things. At last he took refuge in a dark, deep hollow of an old beech tree. 
which offered shelter, concealment perhaps, even safety. But who could tell? Anyhow, he was too tired to run any further, and could only snuggle down into the dry leaves which had drifted into the hollow and hope he was safe for a time. And as he lay there panting and trembling, and listening to the whistlings and the patterings outside, he knew it at last, in all its fullness, that dread thing which the other little dwellers in the fields and hedgerows had encountered here, and known at their darkest moment that thing which the rat had vainly tried to shield him from was the terror of the wildwood. Meantime, the rat, warm and comfortable, dozed by the fireside. His paper's half-finished verses slipped from his knee, his head fell back, his mouth opened, and he wandered by the verdant banks of the dream rivers. Then a coal slipped, the fire crackled and sent up a splurt of flame, and he woke up with a start. Remembering what he had been engaged upon, he reached down to the floor for his verses, pored over them for a minute, and then looked round for the mole to ask him if he knew any good rhymes for something or other. But the mole was not there. He listened for a time. The house seemed very quiet. He then called Moly several times, receiving no answer, got up, went out into the hall. The mole's cap was missing from its accustomed peg. His galoshes, which always lay by the umbrella stand, were gone also. The rat left the house and carefully examined the muddy surface of the ground outside, hoping to find Mole's tracks. There they were, sure enough. The galoshes were new, just bought for the winter, and the pimples on their shoes were fresh and sharp. He could see the imprints of them in the mud, running along the straight and purposeful, leading direct to the wildwood. The rat looked very grave, and stood up in deep thought for a minute or two. Then he re-entered the house, strapped a belt around his waist, shoved a brace of pistols into it, took up a stout cudgel that stood in the corner of the hall, and set off for the wildwood at a smart pace. It was already getting towards dusk when he reached the first fringe of trees, and plunged without hesitation into the wood, looking anxiously on either side for any sign of his friend. Here and there wicked little faces popping out of holes, but vanished immediately at the sight of the valorous animal, his pistols and the great ugly cudgel in his grasp, and the whistling and the pattering which he had heard quite plainly on his first entry, died away and ceased, and all was very still. He made his way manfully through the length of the wood. To its furthest edge, and then, forsaking all paths, he set himself to traverse it, laboriously working over the whole ground, and all the time calling out cheerfully, Moly, 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 where are you? It's me, it's old rot. He had patiently hunted through the wood for an hour or more, when at last to his joy he heard a little answering cry. Guiding himself by the sound, he made his way through the gathering darkness to the foot of an old beech tree with a hole in it, and from out of the hole came a feeble voice saying, Rotty, is that really you? The rat crept into the hollow, and there he found the mole, exhausted and still trembling. Oh, rat, he cried, I've been so frightened you can't think. Oh, I quite understand, said the rat soothingly. You shouldn't really have gone and done it, Mole. 
I did my best to keep you from it, we river bankers. We hardly ever come out here by ourselves. If we have to come, we come in couples at least. Then we're generally all right. Besides, there are a hundred things one has to know before, which we all understand about, and you don't as yet. I mean passwords and signs and sayings which have power and effect and plants you carry in your pocket and verses you repeat and dodges and tricks you practice and all simple enough when you know em but they've got to be known if you're small or if you'll find yourself in trouble of course if you were badger or alter it would be quite another matter surely the brave mr toad wouldn't mind coming here by himself would he inquired the mole oh toad said the rat laughing heartily he wouldn't show his face here alone, not for a whole lapful of gold guineas, Toad wouldn't. The mole was greatly cheered by the sound of Rat's careless laughter, as well as by the sight of his stick and his gleaming pistols. He stopped shivering and began to feel bolder and more himself again. Now then, the Rat said presently, we really must pull ourselves together and make for a start for home, while there's still a little lot left. It will never do to spend the night here, you understand. Too cold, for one thing. Dear Ratty, said the poor mole, I'm dreadfully sorry, but I'm simply deadbeat. That's a solid fact. You must let me rest here longer and get my strength back if I'm to get home at all. Oh, all right, said the good-natured rat. Rest away, it's pretty near pitch dark by now, anyhow, and there ought to be a good bit of moon later. So the mole got well into the dry leaves and stretched himself out and presently dropped off into sleep, thought of a broken and troubled sort, while the rat covered himself up too, as best he might, for warmth, and lay patiently waiting with a pistol in his paw. When at last the mole had woken up, much refreshed and in his usual spirits, the rat said, now then i'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet and then we really must be off he then went to the entrance of the retreat put his head out and then the mole heard him say quietly to himself hello hello here is a go what's up ratty asked the mole snow is up ratty replied briefly or rather down it's snowing hard the mole came and crouched beside him and, looking out, saw that the wood that had been so dreadful to him in a quite changed aspect, holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls, and other black menaces to the wayfarer were vanishing fast and a gleaming carpet of fairy was springing up everywhere that looked too delicate to be trodden upon by rough feet. A fine powder filled the air and caressed the cheek with a tingle in its touch and the black boughs of the trees showed up in the light that seemed to come from below well it can't be helped said the rat after pondering we must make a start and take our chance i suppose the worst of it is i don't know exactly where we are and now this snow makes everything looks very different it did indeed the mole would not have known that it was the same wood however they set out bravely and took the line that seemed promising.
holding on to each other and pretending with invincible cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree that grimly and silently greeted them or saw openings gaps or other paths with a familiar turn in them in the monotony of the white space and the black tree trunks that refused to vary an hour or two later they had lost all count of time they pulled up dispirited weary hopeless at sea and sat down on a fallen tree trunk to recover their breath and consider what was to be done they were aching with fatigue and bruised with tumbles and they had fallen into several holes and gotten wet thoroughly the snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever there seemed to be no end to the wood and no beginning and no difference in it and worst of all no way out we can't sit here very long said the rat we shall have to make another push for it and do something or other the cold is awful for anything and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through he peered out about him and considered look here he went on this is what occurs to me there's sort of a dell down there in front of us where the ground seems hilly and humpy and hummocky we'll make our way down to that and try for some sort of shelter a cave or a hole with a dry floor in it out of the snow and wind and and there we'll have a good rest before we try again for we are both pretty dead bait besides the snow may leave off or something may turn up so once more they got on their feet and struggled down into the dell where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry and a protection from the keen wind and whirling snow they were investigating one of the hummocky bits the rat had spoken of when suddenly the mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal oh my leg he cried oh my poor shin and he sat up in the snow and nursed his leg in both of his front paws poor old mole said the rat kindly you don't seem to be having much luck today do you let's have a look at your leg he went on going down on his knees to take a look you've cut your shin for sure wait until i get out my handkerchief and i'll tie it up for you i must have tripped over a hidden branch or a stump said the mole miserably oh my oh my it's a very clean cut said the rat examining it attentively that was never done by a branch or stump it looks as if it was made by a sharp edge of something in metal funny he pondered a while and examined the humps and slopes surrounding them well never mind what is done is done said the mole forgetting his grammar in his pain it hurts just the same whatever's done it but the rat after carefully tying up the leg with his handkerchief had left him and was busy scraping in the snow he scratched and shoveled and explored with all four legs working busily while the mole waited impatiently remarking at intervals oh come rat suddenly the rat cried hooray and then hooray 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 and fell to executing a feeble jig in the snow what have you found ratty asked the mole still nursing his leg come and see said the delighted rat as he jigged on the mole hobbled up to the spot and had a good look well he said at last slowly i see it right enough seen the same sort of thing before 
lots of times. Familiar object, I call it. A door scraper? Well, what of it? Why dance and jig around a door scraper? But don't you say what it means, you dull-witted animal, cried the rat impatiently. Of course I see what it means, replied the mole. It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his door scraper lying about in the middle of the wild wood, just where it's sure to trip everybody up. Very thoughtless of him, I call it. When I get home, I shall complain about it to somebody or other. See if I don't. Oh dear, oh dear, cried the rat in despair in his obtuseness. Here, stop arguing and come and scrape and he set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil, his efforts were rewarded, and a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. There, what did I tell you? exclaimed the rat in great triumph. Absolutely nothing whatever, replied the mole with perfect truthfulness. Well now, he went on, you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter, done for now and thrown away. I suppose you're perfectly happy. Better go ahead and dance your jig around that if you've got to, and get it over. And then perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time on rubbish heaps. Can we eat a doormat, or sleep under the doormat, or sit on the doormat, or sledge home in the doormat on it? You exasperating rodent. Do you mind to say, cried the excited rat, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think we've had enough of this folly. Whoever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? They simply don't do it. They aren't not sought at all. Oh, doormats know their place. Now look here, you thick-headed beast, replied the rat really angrily. This must stop, not another word, but scrape and scratch and dig and hunt around, especially on the sides of the hummocks. If you want to sleep dry and warm tonight, for it's our last chance. The rat attacked a snowbank beside him with ardor, probing with his cudgel everywhere, and then digging with fury. And the mole scraped busily too, more to oblige the rat than for any other reason, for his opinion was that his friend was getting light-headed. Some ten minutes' hard work, and the point of the rat's cudgel struck something that sounded hollow. He worked at it till he could get a paw through and feel, then called to the mole to come and help him. Hard at work went the two animals, till at last the result of their labors stood full in view, of the astonished and hitherto incredulous mole. In the side of what it seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted a dark green. An iron bell pull hung by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, neatly engraved in square capital letters, they could read, by the aid of the moonlight, Mr. Badger. The mole fell backwards on the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rot! he cried in penitence. You're a wonder, a real wonder. That's what you are. I see it now. You argued it out step by step in that wise little head of yours. From the very moment that I fell and cut my shin, you looked at the cut and at once your majestic mind said to itself, Door scraper. And then you turned to and found the very door scraper that done it. 
Did you stop there? No, some people would have been quite satisfied, but not you. Your intellect went on working. Let me only find the doormat, you said to yourself, and my theory is proven. And of course you found your doormat. You're so clever. I believe you could find anything you like. Now, says you, that door exists as plain as if I saw it. There's nothing else that remains to be done but to find it. Well, I've read about that sort of thing in books, but I never came across it before in real life. You are to go where you'll be properly appreciated. You're simply wasted here among us fellows. If only I had your head, Ratty. But you haven't, interrupted the rat rather unkindly. I suppose you're going to go sit down in the snow all night and talk. Get up at once and hang on to that bell pull you see here, and ring hard, as hard as you can while I am a. While the rat attacked the door with the stick, the mole sprang up at the bell pull and clutched it and swung there, both feet well off the ground, and from quite a long way off they could faintly hear a deep-toned bell respond. And that concludes chapter three of The Wind and the Willows. Thank you so much for listening. Next time we will be going on to chapter four and continuing Ratty and Mole's adventures in the Wildwood. I hope you return for that. And remember, never forget about these books.